as the final seconds tick away, and Notre Dame will duly celebrate a national championship. No doubt the Irish are number one. Elliot dodged the eye of this national championship win. Think about Loa trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! The Tigers reclaim their crown by crushing Alabama. Bit of a different vibe here on the Upper Bowl GM podcast tonight. This is Nick Zararis. I am riding solo. I am right recording late in the Oklahoma Florida game where poor Kyle Trask is getting absolutely killed and Florida's pretty much turned it over to Emory Jones pretty much entirely at this point. They don't want to put Kyle back out there because there's really no point and it, it, it's painful to see. But as promised earlier in the week, big big things this week in college football college football playoff arguably one of my favorite days of the entire year one bleh matchup which i will talk a bit about because there are some interesting things to pay attention to when you watch alabama notre dame and then of course the one everybody is thinking about the one the coaches are fueling with you know how Dabo and ryan day are they both like to talk a lot and because ESPN is so heavily invested in college football, they allow them to dictate the conversation and become these bigger, larger-than-life figures the way, you know, college coaches end up making more money than senators, governors, college presidents, scientists, you know, people who provide things to society. I digress, I digress. Rambling on and on. No one cares. Everyone loves football. As much as... We all were worried about how a football season would go in a pandemic. We are here. We are two-ish weeks away from a national championship game being played. But let's set the scene here with the two matchups. I'll go in chronological order of the games on Friday. Alabama-Notre Dame first. We'll get to the juicy stuff, the easy stuff. Last time we saw Notre Dame played football... Clemson bullied him up and down the field. Ian Book like, like, looked like he had never played college quarterback before, and they had that man in absolute hell. I talked about it with PJ last week uh, when I talked to him about a number of football topics, but, well, to be frank, Brett Venables, the Clemson defensive coordinator, is one of the best coordinators, if not the best coordinator in all of college football. He's won the, I think it's the Broyles Award, Bryles Award, I can't remember how it's pronounced off the top of my head, I'm recording, it's late, I'm tired, for best assistant coach last year. They know what they are doing at Clemson. This is a team that's made the playoff multiple times, they've won multiple national championships, the one with a true freshman, Trevor Lawrence, against Alabama, that was two years ago, which seems like forever ago in the greater landscape of time, because 2020's been the longest year ever. When we think about this matchup, it sets up for the obvious. The most obvious storyline is the one Brian Kelly was forced to talk about the other day when someone asked him about it. Is How many times can Notre Dame go into these big games and get murdered and it not be demoralizing for the program and the, or the institution as a whole? The few times Notre Dame's gone onto these big stages, they've gotten killed. We saw them in the first round of the playoff against Clemson two years ago, where Clemson I, I shut them out, 31 nothing, something like that. 
mugging, an absolute mugging. And we don't have to talk about the Tua, <laughs> the Tua National Championship game back in 2012 during the BCS era. I went back and watched that game a couple days ago in preparation for this podcast just to kind of remember how far Notre Dame and Alabama's programs have come since then. Alabama's just keep get, kept getting better. Notre Dame has come a decent bit. They don't have a true spread option offense. Ian Book is under center a lot. They do do a lot of the similar concepts you see in a spread option offense where you'll have the three receive four receivers. You'll do a lot of RPOs and read option stuff with your quarterback because Book is pretty mobile. He played the game of his life earlier this year. It was a, a, the day the election was called, the Saturday, when Clemson beat uh, when Notre Dame beat Clemson in South Bend. And then Chappelle hosted SNL, and Chappelle hosting SNL got delayed by 40 minutes because the game went to double overtime. But yeah, last time we saw Notre Dame, they got housed. What did Clemson do? They kept the in-book off balance, didn't let Notre Dame establish the running game. I hate when analysts use the cliche that running the ball opens up the passing game. But in Notre Dame's case, it's one of the rare cases where that's true because Ian Book can't make those special throws, those tight window, complicated throws against good coverage. Granted, this isn't the best Clemson team. They've had a lot of guys go to the league. Uh, 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 It goes without saying, when you're putting guys in the league consistently, you're a good program. But this Clemson team isn't anything particularly special, and they bullied Notre Dame. Notre Dame's strength is supposed to be their offensive line and their running game because they that's one position group where Notre Dame recruits on a semi-comparable level to the elite programs, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, the Alabamas of the world. They do recruit very well, good offensive linemen. They have one five-star Tommy Kramer who had an appendectomy a couple weeks ago. I'm pretty sure he's going to be good to go. I don't think this game will be particularly close. Alabama is averaging... 543 yards of offense and almost 50 points a game. I, I mean, yeah, Kent State averaged with, finished with 49.9, Alabama 49.7. Let's be real here. This Alabama offense is insane. They lost arguably their best playmaker in Jalen Waddle, who broke his ankle, and I think I want to say it was the Tennessee game way back early in the season. And in his place, the only thing that emerged was, you know, Devontae Smith, the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman going into the ceremony. I think it's supposed to be January 5th virtually, but they opened up their offense a couple of years ago with Lane Kiffin, who did a masterful job with Matt Corral at Ole Miss this year, making them, I don't want to say a good team, but at least a competitive team. I, I talked about this quite a bit with PJ, just... It's a lot easier to just try and score as many points as your opponent than it is to stop an amazing offense from scoring points. And The Nick Saban passing game coordinator career rehabilitation program is a great gig. I I really got to try and get that gig. I mean, Kiffin has gone on. He looks fine now. He went to FAU and then Ole Miss. Sark is doing a great job and he'll probably start getting head coaching buzz again after how bad things ended at USC. With granted, there were bigger things at play there. He had a substance issue he had to take care of, and got he got his life together. And it's good to see that Sark got his life together and has put together an amazing offense at Alabama. I think the main issue for Notre Dame here is going to be the simple fact they cannot score as many points as Alabama. Just what the best game Notre Dame played this year when they beat Clemson in that game against DJ. Ulongale. I I tried to memorize the phonetic pronunciation. It's very difficult. I'm just going to say DJ a lot because it's it's easier, and I'll be frank. 
Notre Dame won that game. They got two defensive scores. Those scores got them to overtime, and it's how they ended up winning that game. You probably aren't going to get those two defensive scores against Alabama this week. For all of Mac Jones's physical limitations, he's not extremely mobile. He doesn't have a cannon arm. Puts the ball in the right place. His guys are open more often than not because they're schemed so well. And just to realistically, they're just better than most of the opponents they go against, so their receivers get open. And it leads to ridiculous stat lines like what Devonta Smith has put together. And you can't sleep on Mechie, who's broken out in the absence of Waddle, John Mechie, who's gotten a nice bit, of a nice statistical season as the number two, and he'll probably go into next year as Alabama's one, depending on what Waddle does. I assume Waddle's probably going to declare for the NFL, probably end up being a late first-rounder, early second-round pick. If Notre Dame wants a chance in this game, they're going to have to score points. And we've seen teams give Alabama a hard time. We saw Florida in the SEC title game not give them a hard time, but score enough points to keep it close. We saw Ole Miss (laughs) gain 600 yards of offense, score 40-something points, and still lose by two touchdowns. If you're going to beat Alabama, you got to score points. Notre Dame... Not a prolific offense. They are going to try and do the alternative approach. They are probably going to try and shorten the game. They're going to really try and emphasize the running game, control the ball, and shorten the game. I know the Athletic did, uh, I I guess you would call it a study, uh, a fact-finding mission, whatever, what have you. They determined that the conventional wisdom about beating the Chiefs, that Running the ball to shorten the game does not actually alter your chances of winning the game. Because in their opinion, if you shorten the game, you're you're taking your team's offense's chances away from scoring. So because you're shortening the game, you're not giving your own offense as many chances to score as the other team would tip, as you would typically have, which hurts your ability to win the game. Because against these high-powered offenses, you need to be able to match them score for score. For Notre Dame to be competitive, they're going to have to hit that 35-ish point threshold, which is doable. This Alabama defense is not as good as Alabama defenses typically are. Yes, there are still NFL players on that defense. Patrick Sertan will go in the top 10 this spring. He will go to a team that desperately needs a number one corner, and he will probably be pretty good in the NFL. He's rangy. Pretty athletic, nice physical skills, can jam at the line of scrimmage, which helps a lot when you're a young corner who's still trying to find their way. Notre Dame's problem is they don't have explosive offensive players. There's no walking big play threat. I'd almost want to say last year's Notre Dame team, which was not did not perform as well as this year's, had the right personnel. If you, Cole Komet, he's... He's better than any tight end Notre Dame has right now. And Chase Claypool is obviously better than any receiver Notre Dame has right now. But I want to give Notre Dame a fighting chance in this game. This is the Alabama defense to try and out-physical and control at the line of scrimmage. Five years ago, Notre Dame gets run off the field trying to out-muscle Alabama. This year, I don't want to say they're going to do it, but... There's a chance that they can keep it within the three scores that the line's at. It's at 19.5 points, the biggest spread ever in a college football playoff game. There are legitimate ghosts here for Notre Dame. 
anytime they've gone against one of these elite programs in one of these situations, they've gotten run off the field. Notre Dame has not won a national championship since 1988, as you heard in the introduction. That game, that game I, th- I want to say it was the Fiesta Bowl against West Virginia. 1988, when Lou Holtz, who, you know, kind of, Lou Holtz a little out there now, a little bit of a whack job, but last time Notre Dame won a national title was 1988. They are going into this game with, I don't want to say nothing to lose, because, you know, they're still there. They, they'd like to win the game. I don't think they have much of a chance, but they'd like to win that game. And the thing you always got to worry about in these kinds of situations is the team with nothing to lose is scary because they'll try reckless things. Think about what the Dolphins did last year where Brian Flores wasn't expected to win any games. Everyone just expected them to lose 14, 15 games, be in the driver's seat to get two in the draft. They went out there and ran fake field goals. They ran the Chinese field goal from Blue Mountain State against the Eagles. Jason Sanders threw a touchdown pass. Notre Dame is going to have to break out every single trick in the book if they want to even keep this close. I'll be honest with you. I I bet Alabama spread. I have Alabama in the teaser. I think Alabama steamrolls Notre Dame. They just, too many points. Notre Dame doesn't have the coverage guys. I, they have guys who can edge rush. They, if they can get a little heat on Mac Jones, I'd be a little nervous for my bets, but Notre Dame, thanks for coming. We can just leave it at that. Thanks for coming. Barring catastrophe, and yes, I know this is going to get clipped and put on old takes exposed if I'm wrong about this, which which happens, you know. Prognostication is prognostication for a reason. We're all doing the best we can with the information we have. I rewatched a number of Alabama games, number of Notre Dame games this year. Hmm over the course of the season, and during the course of this week in prep to do this episode. Alabama's offense is as elite as they come. They will move the ball up and down the field on you. Your best bet is turnovers, and you need every single... You need to win the turnover margin by two or three if you want to have a chance against them. Florida, for all of the problems they had in the SEC title game, where they were chasing the entire time, I at least felt like Notre, excuse me, Florida could stay on the field with Alabama. Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts are legitimate NFL caliber players that you can get the ball to, and they can make things happen. I think Kyle Trask is definitely better than Ian Book, in spite of how bad Trask played in the uh, the um, Cotton Bowl tonight. But I'll leave you with this parting thought: Notre Dame's defensive coordinator Clark Lee took the Vanderbilt head coaching job. He's still the D.C. for Notre Dame, but you know he's got to be thinking a little bit about his job. And that job waiting for him at Vanderbilt, which is going to be a steep uphill climb in the SEC, because, you know, the Vanderbilt job is murder. I mean, all due respect, good job, James Franklin. It got you the Penn State job. You did a nice job there. Winning nine games at Vanderbilt is impressive. Yeah, the cupcake non-conference schedule, not the point. Vanderbilt's going to be a tough job. Clark Lee took that job knowing he still had commitments with Notre Dame this year for the playoff. And typically speaking, coaches who are leaving their job, their current position for another job, don't do particularly well in the playoff games they're coaching. The one that sticks in my obvious mind is Kyle Shanahan, the OC of the Falcons at the time, losing the 28-3 lead to the Patriots and then going to the 49er job. It's hard to worry about. It's human instinct. You're worried about your next job. 
not a, a like a indictment of who this guy is. It's just a natural thing subconsciously. It's gonna happen. You can't be committed to two jobs full time at once. He's gotta already be thinking about the things going on at Vanderbilt. So we gotta be just realistic here. This was a great season for Notre Dame. If they want to consistently make the playoff, they might be better off staying in the SEC and rolling the dice that they can be Clemson once every couple of years to get in the playoff, as opposed to having to go undefeated as an independent and doing it in in impressive fashion. It's a lot harder to do things as an independent. To ask Army how hard it was to find a damn bowl game, I mean, yeah, their original game got canceled, but you're telling me you couldn't find a spot for them until someone else dropped out? Life is hard as an independent. Notre Dame should stay in the ACC, or, I've said this forever, Notre Dame belongs in the Big Ten. They have the culture and the identity of a Big Ten school with the marching band, the big crowds, the big student body. That's where they belong, but, you know, Notre Dame are cowards and they would never do that. They'd end up in the Big Ten East where, in good years, they'd be the second best team. In most years, they'd be the third best team behind Penn State or Michigan, depending on the year. Now transitioning to the conver- the game that, you know, everybody has been waiting for since the game ended last year in the Fiesta Bowl, where Ohio State lost on that last play, where Fields was leading them down, Fields was going down the field, I know, horrible pun, sorry, leading them down the field, chance to win the game at the end, throws the interception to end the game, because his receiver broke off, I want to say it was Chris Olave, I rewatched that game this morning, I woke up about 9.30 this morning, went to Delhi Central, got a nice bobo, sat down, had two cups of coffee, and just watched that game from the Skycam view. The entire thing is on YouTube. It's beautiful. Last year's Clemson team was awesome. They ran into a buzzsaw LSU team in the national title game, but last year's Clemson team, awesome. Clemson's going to miss T. Higgins in this game tomorrow. T. Higgins has done a nice job on the Bengals. He's a good player. He made Joe Burrow's life easier before Joe Burrow's life got destroyed. Had a really nice catch this past week. Um, yeah, this past week from Brandon Allen, which was weird to see because you know the Bengals let up the Texans. I know a lot of a lot of things jump into my mind while I'm talking. I didn't think I'd be mentioning Brandon Allen on the college football playoff episode, but to set the scene for this game, these are two programs who view themselves on equal footing. Ryan Day at Ohio State and Dabo Sweeney at Clemson have been doing the. the sh- Taking the shots back and forth at each other, you know, Dabo listed Ohio, I think he said 11th, yeah, in the the last coach's poll of the regular season, because Ohio State only played six games, which is a legitimate criticism. If you had told me that they were going to put A&M in the fourth spot and Ohio State was five because Ohio State only played six games, that's fine with me. I would have been perfectly fine with that. This Ohio State team is not particularly impressive. They lost a lot of guys to the NFL, like Clemson did, like Alabama did. Like all of these elite programs do, because they are elite programs. That's why they make the playoff. This Ohio State team, I just, it doesn't feel the same. There is no game record on defense, and that's been the staple of these good Ohio State teams in the Ryan Day, Urban Meyer era, is you gotta have the game record. Whether it was one of the Bosa brothers or Chase Young, that's how those Ohio State teams stay competitive. Decent corners, pretty good corners. It's a lot easier to play coverage when there's a monster on the defensive line like a Bosa, Nick or Joey, or Chase Young. Just think about that. Irvin Meyer really got both Bosa brothers, Zeke Elliott. That, for all of his warts, that man Irvin Meyer can recruit. And 
I don't think Ryan Day is at that level of an Urban Meyer, of a Dabo. He's the next tier down. He's a pretty good coach. He puts his players in a position to succeed, which is something that's, as obvious as that sounds, not every coach puts their player in a position to succeed. They run a, what is now a pro-style offense, but when I watch Ohio State, you see a lot of the typical college trademarks. You see the RPOs, you see the one read off, you see the one read, you see the half field, the design rollouts, which works for Fields. He's very athletic. The key for Clemson in this game is going to be keeping Fields in the pocket and forcing him to throw. Fields is at his most dangerous when the defense is in man coverage and no one accounts for the quarterback. And the number of times over the last two years, excuse, well, yeah, last two years, where Fields was the starter at Ohio State, the amount of times I watched him just wait for all the corners to turn their backs to him because they're playing coverage, and then there's only one linebacker in the box, and he's just got to make one linebacker miss, and he picks up seven yards on third and six. Beyond infuriating. As someone who had Penn State multiple times betting against Ohio State over the last few years, watching Fields pick up seven yards on third and five made me want to put my head through a wall. As someone who played a lot of Madden growing up, as everyone knows, you pick a running quarterback, you're a coward because you can't read the defense. If you're using a running quarterback in Madden, it means you can't read the defense and you're waiting for the guy's speed to bail you out. It's why every single sweat runs a Michael Vick, a Lamar, a Kyler Murray, what have you, online. And it's why I can't play Madden online anymore without wanting to wanting to kill someone. That It's infuriating to play perfect defense. And then the quarterback runs because the Madden AI is too stupid to, even though you spied someone on the quarterback, to stay with them. Enough of that rant. But for Clemson to do what they did last year, you got to force Fields into those mistakes. And we've seen it this year. In the games where Fields has played good defenses, he's had a hard time. The two times he got challenged this year, the Indiana game and the Northwestern game and the Big Ten title game, when you make him sit in the pocket and go through his reads and wait for someone to get open, it's when he forces the ball. Clemson has Venables, one of the best DCs in college football, if not the best DC in all of college football. Yes, I did read the Sports Illustrated story a couple months ago about how he steals the other team's signs, and they're good at Clemson is very good at it because, it, you know, it's not like what the Astros were doing where they were cheating, cheating. It's just kind of like, eh, it's not against the rules. We shouldn't do it. But, yeah, Clemson steals signs, and everyone kind of knows it. And it's one of the weaknesses of college football where the quarterbacks always – the younger quarterbacks are the – the less polished quarterbacks do the check with me. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it's the reason the guys on the sideline are holding up those big cardboard signs that have the four panels. Yes, I'm drawing out the four panels with my fingers right now as I'm recording, but the reason there's someone on the sideline, whether it's one of the quarterbacks or a coordinator, quarterback coach, what have you, that's the check with me, where the offense lines up based on the original play call, the defense lines up, and then the quarterback will take a step back, turn to the sideline, and look at what the card is doing, because the card is telling him how to adjust based on how the defense is lined up. Veteran quarterbacks like Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence does this. If you watch the um, ACC championship game, you saw Lawrence making the adjustments himself, where he was, called, he was lining up, coming under center or in shotgun, and then 
based on what the defense is giving him, he changes. You know, what you see at the NFL level, what the good players do, what Ben does, what Rivers does, what Peyton Manning used to do. He's yelling things out. All those words mean something, whether it's adjusting the line coverage, the line protection left or right, whether it's keeping an extra person in the block, whether it's a hot route where it's changing what a receiver is supposed to be doing, whether it's changing it from a straight run play to a run pass option play. That's the difference between Lawrence and Fields, and it's why Lawrence is... I, I, there are a lot more things different between them. Field, Lawrence is just a more talented passer, too. Fields has a cannon for an arm, but he doesn't make good decisions in the way that Lawrence does. Yes, Lawrence can be forced into mistakes sometimes. We've seen the few times that Clemson has had a hard time over the last few years is when they've come up against buzzsaw defenses that have forced him into bad situations. That LSU defense last year, the Ohio State defense last year, where... Played him really tough. Hell, Syracuse, that one time, they gave Clemson a good scare against Trevor Lawrence. Anyone can be beat on any day, obviously. Shout out to Lejanian Tomlinson. Any man can be beat on any day. One of the great pregame speeches. I might edit that in there instead of what I just said. But, again, this game is... This is what college football is about. These are two alpha dog teams with... NFL talent all over the place that are going to go head-to-head. Clemson, not as good as the team last year. Ohio State, not as good as the team last year. Guys go to the league, it happens. Ohio State, we saw the recipe for Ohio State to win. 300 yards on the ground in the Big Ten title game with Trey Sermon. I don't know why Ohio State uses Master Teague as much as they do. Sermon is just a better running back for the zone read system. He sees the holes better. Master Teague tries to juke too much, shift too much tries to make Ubo miss. That's not his game, and that's not what the zone run offense that Ohio State has set up for them needs. Sermon just puts his head down, finds the right hole, and goes. We saw him gouge a pretty stout Northwestern defense where it's hard to break off big plays against Northwestern because they play such fundamentally sound defense. But Sermon managed 300-ish yards rushing. Pretty good. Pretty good. He's not doing that to Clemson. He's just not. It... If you can remember December of last year, I know that seems like eons ago. Eons in the in the scope of time because how shitty 2020's been. That game started out ugly for Clemson, if you remember. It was 16 nothing Clemson at halftime going into the half. Uh, excuse me, 16 nothing Ohio State. J.K. Dobbins, who's you know now on the Ravens lighting it up, was gouging the Clemson defense. Big, big runs. Multiple 50, 60-yard runs in that game. Just gouging that defense. Second half, Dobbins. want to say it was his ankle. Yeah, 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 it was his ankle. Because I remember but when I rewatched the game this morning, Herb Street saying that, yeah, he got his ankle retaped over there on the sideline. He's coming back in right now. Put Fields in a position to succeed. You got a chance. But, again, this Clemson defense, great coordinator in Venables. They've got probably three NFL guys on that defense right now who are going to be eligible for the draft. In particular, I want to point out James Skalski, who missed the first Notre Dame game for Clemson, and part of the reason why they had such a hard time against Notre Dame running the ball on the ground, because Skalski's so good. It helps having linebackers who know the defense, can call things out. Been there for a few years. The kind of guy Skalski is helps set the table for Clemson. 
The thing you want to watch for Clemson's defense in particular is how they disguise what they're doing. Clemson, they don't do exactly what the Patriots do, where they won't have everyone lined up exactly right, where the way New England does it is they'll have like two down linemen standing up edge rushers, and they'll have the linebackers come down into the gaps between the edge, edge guys and the tackles to give the illusion of pressure, and then drop the linebackers back in a way that it confuses the quarterback and might make the quarterback change what they want to do or make them think they have to go faster than they actually do. Clemson's very good at disguising how they want to send pressure. Clemson, one of the things I saw a lot of in the Fiesta Bowl from last year against Clemson, uh, Ohio State rather, was nickel blitzes, where they're sending the nickel corner in, speeding up that internal clock where, all right, corner's coming, corner's coming, got to get rid of the ball. Fields does not go through his reads in the linear way you're supposed to, whether it's left to right, right to left, or deep to short, short to deep. He kind of jumps around based on just kind of his pre-snap read of where things are supposed to go instead of in a linear way to get there the fastest. It's not an all-the-time thing, but when defenses send pressure at him, he does have the habit of jumping around. He'll have happy feet sometimes where he doesn't have the best um, mechanics for throwing the ball, which leads to inaccurate throws, especially on his deeper passes. I want to say Fields is a decent... He's a good college quarterback. He has NFL potential. I'm skeptical of how he'll translate to the NFL. And yes, it's partly an Ohio State quarterback thing because of how the Ohio State offense is set up. Most of the time, they're playing against defenses that are in man coverage, where the Ohio State receivers the last few years are good enough that they just they're going to get open more often than not against man coverage. And it's not like that in the NFL. You got to be able to throw the ball in the windows. Fields has had hard time throwing the ball in the tighter windows. Shout out Zach Wilson, the king of tight window throws. If you watch BYU play UCF a couple days, it was like 10, 15-ish days ago by now, time of recording. King of tight window throws where he's just putting that ball in people's bread baskets from wherever they are on the field with someone draped over them. Fields doesn't do that. He might be able to do that eventually in the right offense, but I just don't feel as confident about this Ohio State team as I did the one last year. Going into last year's Clemson-Ohio State game, I actually did think Clemson was, excuse me, Ohio State was going to win that game. I thought Chase Young would make one of those plays that he's making in the NFL for the football team now. That would be a difference maker. Yes, Clemson got lucky there with that one play where it was Ruben incomplete pass, where it, it probably was a fumble, but because I bet Clemson it was fine, and yeah, Clemson won, went to the national title game, smoked by LSU. It's hard not to look at these things year to year in college football for long-term storylines and trends, especially in these kind of games where good coaching helps. Good help, good coaching makes a tremendous difference. And we're going to see it really quick, especially in the Alabama-Notre Dame game. <laughs> Notre Dame is up for this moment, and they're ready for it. You've got to worry about that in Clemson, Ohio State. Dabo, for all of Dabo's bullshit, the man knows how to get a team up for a big game. He gets those guys juiced up, where he will manufacture whatever kind of bulletin board material he needs, where he'll say preposterous shit. Be like, 
I was hearing people talking about how they don't think we're a top five team. And he was saying this last year, you know, a team that has four NFL first round picks on the team. Yep. Good college coaches, full of shit, and they're great at getting their guys up for these moments. You don't got to worry about that in Clemson, Ohio State. Those guys will be roaring to go. Clemson wants to avenge their national title game loss. That's another story of whether they could actually beat Alabama. I, I don't think anyone can beat Alabama this year just because Alabama scores so many goddamn points. And no one has the elite defense that's required to keep them to 35 while also having the offense to score 40. Last year's LSU team against this year's Bama team would have been fun. I'd like to have seen that. Uh, might have to go try and make that happen on NCAA 14. I'll, I'll see what I can cook up. I'll see what I can cook up. But rounding into the last part of this conversation, I... I've done about 30 minutes on this. It's light. I understand. This episode's going to go out on New Year's Eve. You're going to listen to this on the way to your pregame. Hopefully you're doing it responsibly because, you know, pandemic and all that. want to wrap up with this. It's been a whirlwind of a college football season. I'm very grateful we did end up getting to have a college football season and not just a SEC, ACC, Big 12 one, which it looked like it might have been for a while. I'm glad we got to see Big 10 teams. Yes, the Big Ten only came back because they thought this Ohio State team had a good chance of winning the national championship game. This isn't a good, particularly good Ohio State team. I'd say this is probably the worst one since 2016, the year that Penn State won the Big Ten. I'd say this is probably the worst Ohio State team since that year. I don't want to count Ohio State out. I think Clemson is just... Clemson is too good for them, man. When I watch Clemson dismantle Notre Dame, and for all of the shit we all collectively give Notre Dame for never getting up for the big game and always getting run off the field, there are NFL guys on that team. Brian Kelly is a pretty good college football coach. They sh- they should have been in a better situation than they were in that ACC title game where they were just they were out of it in the first quarter. It was a massacre. Notre Dame cannot afford that. Clemson was able to weather a storm in the first half of the Fiesta Bowl last year. I'm, I bet Clemson. I have Clemson in a teaser. I think we got Clemson, Alabama, one, two. I want to say it's Clemson, Alabama, five. And it's fitting that we close the decade with the two defining programs of the decade, and then Ohio State third. We'll be, we'll be respectful of the Buckeyes. Ohio State third is one of the signature programs of the decade. And Notre Dame, you know, they made the playoff once. This is their second appearance. They made the BCS title game in 2012, Manti Teo. can't remember who the quarterback in that game was for Notre Dame for the life of me because Notre Dame was so abysmal. All of these long-term things fit into the overarching thing I've talked about on this podcast since I started it. This era of college football has been defined by the elite three programs and everyone else trying to catch up to them. Going into next year, it's ripe as any for someone to jump into a tier with them. Right now, Georgia and Oklahoma look... Yes, I'm basing this also off of bowl games and stretch run of a shortened pandemic season. I do this to myself every single year where I talk myself into another team that can hang with those three. Georgia with JT Daniels, the USC transfer, looked pretty good their last few games after they got smoked by Florida. 
Oklahoma, since I want to say since Red River, has looked pretty damn good. Their defense has gotten it together. Yes, they massacred an underhanded Florida team. Still beat the shit out of them. Forcing turnovers, edge rushing, playing good coverage. These are good things that'll carry over into next year. I'll be buying a Florida. I'll be buying a Georgia to win the SEC t- ticket, and I'll be buying a big Oklahoma to win the Big Twelve ticket. Yeah, I'm kind of mooching these off of my gambling friends who give me good ideas, and then I talk myself into said ideas. But again, rounding back to kind of put a bow on this, what I expect to happen on Friday. My first instinct when I knew it would be Clemson, Ohio State, was based just recency bias alone. Based on how bad Ohio State played Northwestern and how well Clemson had played Notre Dame, I thought the line for that game would be 10 and a half, 11. It's opened, I want to say, at six and a half, seven. It's up to seven and a half now. I think Clemson pulls this out, and I think I don't think it'll be particularly close. Lawrence is arguably the best college football player ever. Like that's not really that much hyperbole. He's the best prospect for the NFL since Andrew Luck. But if we're being honest here, if Lawrence had to stay all four years, like, well, Peyton didn't have to stay all four years, but if Lawrence stayed all four years, let's see, he's won a national title game. He's lost a national title game. He's probably going to another one this year and he'll have an outside chance at winning one this year. He somehow hasn't won the Heisman, which he probably should have at some point over the course of his career because he is a special, special player. And yes, someone broadcasting the Clemson-Ohio State game will say that Trevor Lawrence is sneaky athletic because he's going to take a read option run for 14, 15 yards. Or maybe he breaks off like a 60-yarder like he did against Ohio State last year and say he's sneaky athletic. No, he's he's athletic. Even though he's kind of lanky, he's a little tall, he can make guys miss, he's pretty damn fast, he'll probably run for sixes four sevens in the 40 which isn't like blistering wide receiver speed but pretty fast spread option ohio state clemson spread option offenses pretty meh defenses that'll be on the coaches to get those goes those guys up for it i hadn't mentioned it before but just came back into my memory clemson's offensive coordinator tony elliott elliott does have covid he's not going to be calling the offense on saturday uh friday rather their passing game coordinator, quarterback coach, he's been there since 2015. I'm not particularly worried about continuity, that kind of thing. The offensive coordinator is still going to help script the first few drives. The, he can do that over Zoom safely and not worry about COVID. Dabo and Venables have been preaching national title, national title, national title since they lost in Arizona last year. I don't think their journey ends against a pretty, I don't want to say middling Ohio State team, because yes, they went 6-0 and and won the Big Ten, but... If Davo and Venables get outcoached by Ryan Day, I, it's just not a good look, man. I for as good at game management as Ryan Day is, he's pretty aggressive, which something I am a big proponent of is keeping your quarterback out there on those fourth and short situations, whether you're at midfield, a little bit on your own side of the field. If you're over your own 40-yard line and it's less than 4th and 5, you should go for it every single time, just on principle. You're not going to win these kind of games by playing field position and defense. These teams' offenses are too good. 
you punt, you lose. There's a reason Alabama's punter doesn't see the field. There's a reason Clemson's punter doesn't really see the field. Notre Dame's going to punt quite a few times because they're going to go for and out. <laughs> because they're going to be down. They're not going to be able to run the ball. Book is going to have to make fast decisions because Alabama will send guys at him. He's not going to be able to do that. I'm sorry. I know I did a Notre Dame episode of the podcast a couple weeks ago. Maddie is a friend. I, I, I hate having to say this, but I don't expect much from Notre Dame. If they keep it within 15... If they keep it within two possessions, that would be a good performance for Notre Dame. If they can keep it within 14 points, yes, it would mess up my teaser. Still be a good performance for Notre Dame if they could keep it within two touchdowns against Alabama because that's all anyone's managed this year. Yeah, Florida kept it within one possession, but Notre Dame doesn't have Kadarius Tony or Kyle Pitts or Grimes or even Trask. If, if you gave me Florida's offense with Notre Dame's defense, and a Frankenstein monster against Alabama on Friday, I'd consider that. I'd give them a chance. I'd be able to score with them. So, putting a bow on it, wrapping up here. Alabama big. I want to say Clemson big, but I'll say Clemson eight to nine points. Something in that ballpark. A little bit bigger than what the spread is right now. I think... Clemson finds a way, just keeps plotting down the field. They're going to use ETN a little too much because they couldn't get him going. In the, in the, they, could, they haven't been able to get ETN going as much as they did last year. ETN had a really nice game against Ohio State last year, which, which is noteworthy. Yes, I keep going back to last year because I think that's indicative of how these games are going to go. When you get to these big games over, repeatedly, like these programs do, you know what to do in these situations, and you're able to adapt. And that's the difference, which I think gives Clemson the edge, is that they just, they've been here. They know what to do in these situations, and when something's not working, they'll find a way to change what they're doing, and then it adapts. They find a way. Setting up for next week... I've tentatively got two episodes scheduled for next week. I might do three. It depends on the availability of someone I'm trying to get. If Alabama wins, I'm going to try and get one of my friends who goes to grad school at Alabama to come on and see if she can. Probably, definitely have two. One will be football, doing NFL awards with PJ, because, you know, we, we got a football nerd out here. Regular season coming to an end, looking ahead to the playoffs. And we're going hockey, and I'm going to have my boss from Gotham, Ethan Levy, who's going to talk to us about the Islanders, who still haven't signed Matt Barzal for some reason or another. I don't know if Lou Lamarillo knows that hockey season starts on January 13th. He, he very well might not. He might still be just reading his paper newspaper, waiting for the news. He might be still going to the deli, buying his uh, bacon, egg, and cheese, his cup of coffee, and his daily news, waiting... Was it in the daily newsprint that the regular season's coming back on January 13th? I don't know. I'm assuming Barzal will be at training camp when it opens, and I want to say training camp for the NHL opens January 3rd for the teams that were in the bubble. It'll be fun to talk with Ethan. He's one of the few Islander fans I can get along with who doesn't make me want to bash my own head in because he's just doing the mouth breather. The Rangers stink. 
Ethan and I will actually have a good conversation about it because we both look at the Rangers Island Islanders rivalry the same way. We both disdain it because it brings out the worst of both groups because there are just a lot of mouth breathers who can't look past, you know, I don't like your team because it's your team. It, that'll be fun. And then if the Alabama episode doesn't come together, LeVance might be coming back on into a more of a recurring guest type thing where we're going to talk NBA not every week, but maybe bi-weekly where we'll just kind of go around the league, the storylines that are emerging, that kind of thing. Because I've been watching a lot more NBA than usual because unemployment, pandemic, you know, so bouncing around, seeing a lot of things. The Hawks look really good tonight playing the Nets, by the way. The Bucks lost their second game of the back-to-back against the Heat. Heat looked pretty good, played good team defense, no Jimmy Butler, which is impressive. My poor boy Luca got massacred tonight, and he was getting clowned on the timeline. I saw someone say he had the body type of James Corden, and I had to close the app because I was so offended for him. It's not not great to be compared to James Corden on the basketball court. It's, it's just not. So, with that, enjoy the college football. We're in the stretch run here. We're down to single digits of college football games left. And as depressing as that is, you got to enjoy every last one. You bet your ass I'm going to be excited as hell to watch Auburn play Northwestern. With a, I don't even, I assume Bo Nix is playing, but I, 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 the Boise State coach, is he really going to be able to coach the Auburn team? He's been the coach of for a week and a half. We'll see. Because Northwest, Northwestern usually gets up for these kind of games. Auburn's NFL guys aren't going to play. Schwartz already opted out. I'm pretty sure Seth Williams opted out. And a couple guys on the Auburn defense opted out. I'm still going to be excited for it. A&M North Carolina is a good game. We still got Iowa State and Oregon, which will be fun. Yeah, for the average fan, they won't particularly care. But for college football junkies like me, this is the best time of year. It's sad to see bowl season coming to an end. And yeah, the national title game is January 11th. That'll be fun. If we get Alabama Clemson 5, I don't want to hear any belly aching about how it's the same two teams. These are the two definitive programs of the college football playoff era for a reason. These are two of the best college football coaches of all time. Trevor Lawrence is one of, if not the best college football player ever. It will be fun. I hope to. I hope we all get it because it's what we deserve after this dog shit year. I will see you guys next week. Have a happy new year. Be safe and all that. Uh, I guess roll tide?